Hey everyone, it's Jeff from MCS Magazine, and this week we just finished up our second combat machete camp, where we had about 20 guys fly and drive in to our headquarters here, just outside of Austin, Texas, to become instant badasses with a machete. Now, we sold out really quick this time, and demand has really increased for this type of training. And if you weren't able to join us for this event, we'll be planning our next one probably in sometime early 2018. But in the meantime, I thought I'd give you access to a special broadcast that me and my co-developer of our Combat Machete fighting system did that really lays out the foundation of why and how to master the machete as the ultimate survival weapon. Now, this is a pretty long and in-depth training broadcast, which is good in that you're going to get a ton of information. However, some of the explanations of the how to fight with a machete were a little bit difficult to explain over the telephone. So, what we did was we put all the information that you need in a training manual complete with how-to pictures to accompany this broadcast. And as a special bonus, you can grab that training guide for free in the show notes for this podcast episode. All you need to do is go on over to the show page at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com slash machete and pick it up there. Again, just head over to moderncombatandsurvival.com slash machete and you can grab that free guide. And now, let's talk tactics. If bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, would you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. In the movies, a lone warrior with a stout blade can carve his way through just about anything. Denzel Washington did it with a custom machete in the Book of Eli, and he made it look easy. But the reality of the machete is that this powerful, brutal weapon, while it can be very effective, has to be used correctly if you're going to get the most benefit from it. There's a right way and a wrong way to approach the machete as a weapon of self-defense. And that's exactly what we're going to discover tonight as we discuss the combat use of what could be called the ultimate survival weapon. Hello, everyone. I am Buck Green, Operations Director for the International Society of Close Quarter Combatants, and tonight we have two very special guests with us. One of them is our president, Jeff Anderson, a combat veteran and former personal protection professional whose vision has been to expand the concept of survival to extend not only to hand-to-hand combat and firearms training, but also to open up combat applications to the realities of urban survival following any sort of crisis, disaster, or societal collapse. His specialty training and personal combat passion in the use of the machete and short sword in combat led him to study with Indian Sikh warriors in the ancient sword fighting system of Gutka. It was this study that ultimately led him to co-create an integrated bladed weapon system now available through modern combat and survival that he refers to as combat machete. Jeff, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Buck. I appreciate it. And as you know, I've been waiting years for this interview. <laughs> this has been like a, this has been a passion of mine. I'm looking forward to getting into it. We are very excited to, to talk about that, and this is a topic that's right up my own alley as well. Now, our other guest is someone whom we've never before featured on the program. He is combatives and bladed weapons expert Damon Stiff. 
Demond began his love for the martial arts at the age of six when his father gave him his first toy sword. From that day on, the way of the warrior became his path and his passion. Influenced by the Japanese samurai blade master, Miyamoto Musashi, and his studies in Kali, Silat, and African fighting arts, such as Zulu and Kalenda stick fighting and African machete fighting, Demond has integrated these tactics to train others in hand-to-hand and bladed combat, including co-creation of the combat machete course with Jeff. Demond has also created his own capoeira group and is currently devoted to researching and resurrecting the warrior arts of Africa's medieval past. Welcome, Demond, and may I say it is a unique pleasure and honor to have you with us here tonight. Thank you, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you guys for um, giving me this opportunity. Now, I am I am so excited to talk about this because, like I said, I must have a half a dozen machetes within easy reach myself. I know Jeff does. I've seen some of his stuff. He's got some. He's got better stuff. Too. That's why he's in charge, I think. Uh, gentlemen, what I want to do right now is dig right into uh, the meat of the combat machete, if you'll excuse the pun. Uh, why would I choose a machete as a weapon? What are its advantages and also its potential liabilities? Well, there's a, you know, I actually have like a long list. I actually sat down and, and wrote down like the advantages of this and and, I, and even I couldn't believe the long list of advantages, but I'll give you my, my top five reasons why I think the, the machete is the ultimate survival weapon. I mean, number one, you know, it's, it's versatile as a survival tool. And, you know, the machete is used for agriculture. It's used throughout the world. It's, it's, it's easy to find throughout the world. I go down to Mexico a lot, and you'll see, you know, Farmers just walking along the road with a machete on their side, and so it's it's very versatile as a chopping tool, as you know, in any sort of a survival scenario. And what's good about that for combat purposes is that it, it naturally makes them covert. So if you're carrying around a samurai sword, you know what a samurai sword is for. It's for combat. Well, if you're carrying around a machete in a survival scenario, it's it's more easily recognized as an agricultural tool for for chopping wood and things like that. So it naturally has this covert aspect to it already. Uh, The second reason why I think that the machete is the ultimate survival weapon is because not only is it it silent, in other words, you know, if you have a firearm and you're in a survival scenario and you shoot the firearm, well, that's going to bring you unwanted attention. I mean, if you have to use a gun to defend yourself, if there are military or law enforcement in the area and they hear a gun, they could come running and to, to be able to engage in attack, so to speak, or to investigate somebody that has a gun. Or if it's a, like a martial law situation and people are not supposed to have guns, then that's going to bring them running to be able to take your guns. So you can't, you can't get away with very, you know, as much with a firearm. And if it's not law enforcement or military, you kind of get that, you know, that that same effect that accidents bring people out to go look at accidents. If someone fires a gun in a survival scenario, it can naturally bring others to your location because they might want a gun or they're just curious about what's going on. And um, or if it's a survival scenario where food is scarce then the sound of a gun could mean that somebody got a deer or something like that. And so they might come running because that means somebody has food that they want. 
So the machete doesn't have that problem. It's it's silent in in its use, which is a, which is a a very big benefit. Also, it's legal. So right now, I can't think of any state in the United States that outlaws the machete. Even if you have it in your vehicle, the most of the laws that I've seen, I can't think of a state where where it would be any different. Although I, I recommend everybody check their local, you know, state laws, state and county laws, and and regulations. But with any sort of a a, a tool like a machete, if you're ever pulled over, let's say for a traffic stop or something, and and police officer sees you have a machete, which would be mistake number one. But if they if they do see one or if they do find one in your car then as long as you can explain that there was a legitimate use for you having it, such as I'm going camping, I went camping, I use it for work, I work on a, you know, in a, on a farm or I, I work agriculturally or we use it for chopping wood, as long as you have a legitimate reason for having it, it's not considered illegal to have it with you. Again, check your local laws and, and, and regulations. So it's still considered legal, but it's a very effective combat weapon. The fourth the reason classic, why I like uh, it baseball is baseball bat defense. The yeah, what? The, the baseball bat defense? Everyone says if you carry a baseball bat in your car for wink, wink, nudge, nudge, self-defense, you should also carry a glove and a ball because that way you can <laughs> explain the bat. Right. So stick some sugar cane in your trunk along with the machete. <laughs> well, um, you might consider putting some, smearing some dirt on the blade, though, so that you can explain that, no, no, it's, it's a working tool. It's not just a brand-new shiny machete that I carry around in my trunk just in case. Yes, and wipe off any blood that might be on it as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, the fourth reason is that it doesn't run out of ammunition. So we talk a lot of, you know, everybody's stockpiling ammunition for the apocalypse, you know, for after the grid goes down or whatever. Well, if, if hell really does all break loose and you have to use that ammunition, well, it's going to become very scarce, right? I mean, if you look at a lot of the movies like The Road or things like that, um, you know, ammunition in, in the most realistic survival-type movies is a rarity. You might have one bullet that you're saving there. And so the machete doesn't run out of bullets. And so you can continue to use it. If you have a good quality machete, that blade is going to last you a long time. And it's it's always ready to go. Even when it's not sharp, it's still you know ready to go. So it, it can be used very effectively. And then the final reason that I, I think it's the ultimate survival weapon is that it's just plain deadly effective. When you look at it, it, it yes, it's an agricultural tool, but, I mean, take another look at it. It's a sword. And the sword's been used on the battlefield since the Bronze Age, and it's been used for combat for very good reasons. It's very effective. It's a it's a cutting tool. It's a hacking tool. It's a stabbing tool. It is a tool of of death. And in the right hands, or even in the wrong hands, it's very effective. And I guess that's one of the other things that why it works so well is because it's very you know it's very intuitive. Anybody can pick it up, and you know how to use it. You know at least the basic essential of how to hack with a machete. Um, but in in the hands of a a mastered warrior that knows how to use a machete in close quarters combat, it is is it, it is incredibly effective and a, and a great. Um, it's, it, it to me, it's just the ultimate close quarters weapon that you could possibly have. 
Well, uh, this brings me to the uh, – um, I have heard horrible stories about uh, genocides in Rwanda and other countries in Africa where the machete was the primary tool. You, you think of, of widespread war and genocide as being something that takes place with modern weapons, but these were just bands of men armed with machetes slicing and hacking their way through entire populations. What can you tell me about the realities of using the machete, which is an incredibly brutal weapon? Well, the uh, machete is 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 um, readily available. Um, you find it is used as an agricultural tool, and, and many many people working in the countryside have them. So, um, from my understanding, it's 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 the the first thing at hand. It, it was easy to to mobilize um, these death squads in these countries to to um, uh, commit these genocides. I know that in places like the Dominican Republic, where the machete once again is a is a uh, readily available tool, and the young men will settle scores, or uh, they actually have like these these one on one duels with the machete, um, and it's very commonplace in the Dominican Republic and other places in Latin America. I have to think that. I was just going to I was just going to add to it that it's you know what people need to understand is that when it when it comes to different weapons and the damage that they do um when you're talking about the machete you're talking about something that really is brutal and horrific and the reason why it's it's used by you know everyone from gangs to Rwandan death squads and and things like that I mean it's such an intimidating weapon and with good reason when you think about it if you shoot somebody with with a handgun, there are times, and there and there there are reports of police officers who have been shot, or or people who have been shot that didn't even realize that they'd been shot. You know, uh, they might not even bleed, as a matter of fact, because of the adrenaline surge, and and that can cut off the um, you know the blood vessels. And it can actually, for temporarily, you know, stop bleeding. Uh, same thing with a knife. You know, so there are people that you might get stabbed with a knife and not even know it until after the fight and you look down and there's blood all over the place. When when you're using a machete, both you and the person that you've just hacked know that they've been hacked. Um, it's, you know, you see the blade more than you do, like, say, a knife. Um, and and it makes such a, such a brutal... Uh, wound in the body that there's going to be trauma and it's going to be very visible trauma and that's good that that's going to be visible not only to you and also to the person that you just cut but to everybody else around you too and so you need to understand that what we're talking about is something that that the brain doesn't naturally comprehend that that type of that amount of blood that amount of trauma things like that unless you are like an er nurse or a doctor um, you need to take that into account because that that type of a shock is going to could either stop you right there, or you know is going to stop the person that that you're that you're cutting. But you need to understand that there is going to be an immense amount of trauma and immense amount of blood that's involved with the combat that you're doing. It's not going to be a nice a nice hole like if you're shooting a, a firearm or something or or something like that. Yeah, I think most people are unprepared for. What we're discussing when we talk about using the machete as a weapon is using it to cleave parts of the human body, and that's a, a really horrible reality to, to consider. 
Now, this is going to seem like a somewhat uh, dark segue, but what should I look for in choosing a machete? Now that I've embraced the reality of, of just what this weapon could do, what am I looking for when I buy a quality machete? Well, as a segue from what we were just talking about, you're looking for something that will make a very brutal, horrific gash in a wound in a body <laughs> because when you, if you're going to use it, it's, it's as a last ditch effort. I mean, you're using it for life or death. So you treat it as if it's a firearm. You won't, you don't pull out a firearm. You don't aim a firearm at somebody unless your life is threatened and you might have to use that weapon to save your life. Well, the same thing with a machete. The only time you would actually wield it in combat is, is if it's a life or death scenario because even an accidental blow could kill somebody very easily with it. So you are looking for the most deadly weapon that that you can do. Same thing with a firearm. Uh, you know, if I go choose a firearm for personal defense, I want something that is going to stop my attacker in the fewer fewest rounds as possible. The same thing with a machete. I'm looking for something that's going to stop my attacker as quickly as possible, so that I can get the hell out of dodge. So with that, um, and with and with the, I guess the. Um, you know the 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 recent increase in interest in machetes through the zombie apocalypse movies and television shows and things like that there's a whole bunch of different machetes that are out there now so you have your your standard agricultural ones and when i go to mexico i see them in the local hardware store and even in the local um gosh i've seen them even in drug stores so there are some very cheap ones that are out there so those aren't necessarily the ones that you're looking for. You're looking for one that has some length to it. So some of the ones that are put out now are shorter versions. They might only have like a 16-inch blade, which makes them kind of more like a, a very large knife. What you're looking for is a blade that's at least 18 inches long. So 18, 18 to 18 and a half inch long blade is a pretty common one that you'll find out there. Now they make them much longer. So what's that? 18 seems to be pretty standard when yeah. when you buy like aftermarket machete sheets. A lot of them are 18 inches. Yeah, and there's a reason for that. I'll I'll, ex I'll explain that here in just a second. But um, they do make longer ones, and so the advantage of that is that you have perhaps a longer reach for it. But there are some disadvantages to that, in that it's harder to conceal. The longer the blade is, the the less structure you actually have to it when you're. Um, when you're actually using it, unless it's a very thick blade, which would make it very heavy. So the length that I recommend is is the 18-inch blade. Now, some of them have a, a sawtooth on top. So you see some now. Gerber puts out one. Um, a few other companies put out some that have a sawtooth on top. Now, what I like about the sawtooth is that you, for survival purposes, if you have to use it as a saw, then you know it, it, it does give you that. And there are some uses for a saw that I that I can see out there. Um, it also, um, if you sharpen those saw blades, it can cut through clothing pretty well. Um, and you can even use that sawtooth as you know you can flip the flip the machete over and use that as a a less than lethal version of of using the machete. Now I say less than lethal. I, I suppose there are times where if you do have to use it, and, and it's a situation where you're not, maybe your life isn't necessarily threatened because the person that you're fighting is armed with 
a small stick, but you need something that's going to go against the stick and the machete is what you have, then maybe you could go less than lethal with it. However, I still believe that, you know, really what we talk about is the actual use of the bladed side of it. So there are some with the sawtooth top that are out now. Um, to me, that's an option. Um, I don't, I don't carry one with it now because if I want to use less than lethal, I basically can just turn the uh, the machete around and use the the flat non sharpened end, and that's not going to necessarily cut anybody, but it will certainly break an arm. It'll break a leg if you uh, if you use it in that in that manner. Uh, quality is the big thing for me. So what I'm looking for is the quality of the blade itself. Now you mentioned that Cold Steel has some out there. I've I've purchased the Cold Steel machetes, and and actually I'm not. I'm not a fan. I hate to like name names or anything, but um, they're a good example of some of the things that you might want to look out for in that if you hold the machete up in front of you and you take it and you have one hand on the handle and one hand on the end of the blade and you go to like bend it, that bending is going to absorb a lot of the blow when you're actually using it in combat. So for me, what I look for is the rigidity of the steel of the blade. So if I if I hold it up and I go to bend it and it doesn't bend very well, then I know that when I go to actually use it in combat, that the strength of that blade is going to give me more power and, and, and more force into the cut itself. Now, a machete, as we've just discussed, is not a small weapon. Is it conceivable? How might I choose to carry and store it if I'm going to make the transition to using this as a weapon? Yeah, and I actually think that you probably have some some better ideas on how to do so. But it's the the cool thing about the machete is the size. Although it's not a it's not a small weapon, um, there are a number of ways that you can you can um, conceal it. There are several different types of carrying cases that um, can um, I guess you can you can um, carry the machete along your back or down on the side. Um, you can you can, you know, put it with um, your hiking gear in a large bag or in a um, in a bag that holds like the um, foldable, um, uh, not launchers, but the foldable. Um, what are those? What are those? Um, those yeah, like uh, the flexible chairs? lawn chairs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you're 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 pretty much just as limited as your imagination. Um, you know, even like uh, what I've what I've used is. Um, there's like a a pool cube um, a bag to carry a pool stick or whatever. I can put one in there. Um, yeah, there's many different ways. Jeff, why don't you? I know that in the DVD we touched upon, you know, carrying and concealing it, and I think that you had some pretty pretty unique ways to to kind of um, carry your machete and and having it, and also the mindset of why you should conceal it and and many ways of doing so. Yeah, I mean, I do believe in concealing it. So I know a lot of people will strap it to the outside of their of their bug out bag or backpack or whatever, um, which makes it you know readily accessible. But that also makes it um, it also can possibly make you a target. I mean, I'm a big fan of of being what we call the gray man. So if it's a if it's a survival type scenario, I don't want to stand out as the warrior. I don't want to look like Denzel Washington walking around with a sword on my side. I want to look like somebody who's caught up in this just like everybody else 
and I'm just as destitute as everyone else around me. I don't want to look like the person who has more than other people, who's better prepared than other people, or who has weapons that other people might want and make myself a target. So I do believe in keeping it um, concealed, but then also readily accessible so that if you are accosted, if you are approached or threatened by something, that you can easily get to it without you know, having to say, hold on one second, let me take off my bag and pull this out of my sheath and open it up and, and get this out. So um, Devon brought up some, some really, you know, some good ones of some ways that you can, you, can, you can conceal it in a small bag or like the chair bag or something like that that most people won't readily identify as holding a weapon. Um, even inside of your, on the side of your bug-out bag, um, what I've done is I've made some adjustments to my bug-out bag to allow that to be um, strapped into or, or covered and still be on the side where I can reach under. And what I, I believe, you can either go with the handle up so that you can reach back over your shoulder and grab the handle. Um, and sometimes it's just a matter of just moving a piece of, um, like your bug out bag out of the way to be able to get to the handle. Or you can do it with the handle at the bottom of the bag so you can reach under either same, you know, on the same side and pull it out from underneath with, uh, with your hand. Uh, you can even just, if you just look at it, you can even just put it behind your back underneath a shirt. I mean, it can still fit inside of like a belt or something like that so that you can carry it under your shirt behind you. Uh, it really is just limited only by, by your imagination. But what, the, what I like the best is like Damon said, like if you have a pool cue case or something like that that it'll fit inside of, you can very easily just put that over your shoulder, hide it like behind your arm. And what I like about that is that you can, you can quickly move that like that, when it's when it's around your shoulder like that, you can move it to a position where you can get to it very easily, but nobody would really suspect that there's a that there's a machete inside of it. Now, Jeff, you said before, uh, I don't want to come back to this because I think it's really important. You mentioned before that the machete is generally a very legal weapon, and that there are no states that currently ban it. Unlike, say, uh, a switchblade, you know, there are plenty of states where you can't legally own something like that. But it is a fact that there are cities and other localities in the United States where uh, the prevalence of violence by gangs like MS-13 that, that favor the machete have prompted uh, various cities and other municipalities to ban the machete. What are the legal pitfalls that we need to look out for where the machete is concerned? Yeah, so so here's the thing. And you can you can look at this in in terms of of other weapons as well, because we we often look at the legal implications of any use of force that you may have, and and everybody really needs to understand that. So, you know, if you were to ever be held accountable for your actions, even in protecting yourself, even if it was legitimate, even if you were surrounded by a band of of, of renegade post-apocalyptic zombie fighting ninjas and you had to use your machete to defend yourself, if for whatever reason you were brought in front of a court because you killed all of those, all those, those thugs, if you did it with a firearm, well, okay, the, the prosecuting attorney would hold up the gun and say, this person used this gun to defend himself against these thugs. That's pretty easy to defend yourself um, because, you know, people readily recognize the use of, 
a, a firearm for, for personal defense. Even a knife, when they hold up a knife, this person had to stab all these people to protect themselves. It's easy to, to, to be able to, to explain. But you need to take a look at if, if they say this person was ready for combat because look at this machete that he has and look how he sharpened it or whatever. So when they hold up a machete, that instantly has that intimidation factor of people can, can visualize hacking you know, people to bits and arms being lopped off and people being decapitated. So the association that people have with, with hacking people with a machete is going to be burned into that jury's mind. So you need to understand that um, this is not – a machete is not my, my go-to peacetime weapon. If I get into a fender bender and some guy comes out and he's – He's got a tire iron, and he's going to, you know, at the parking lot of the of the shopping center, and he's saying he's going to bash my brains out. Well, I'm not going to go into my into underneath my seat and grab my machete and start fighting him. I'm a concealed carry uh, license owner, so I'm going to, you know, use what I know I can explain away better in court. So the machete is not my go-to peacetime weapon. We, when we developed the system, we developed it in terms of this is a, a true societal breakdown, grid down type of a scenario where you now might be bugging out to a secondary safe location or there's going to be some reason after a fall that you are going to need a, a weapon other than something like a firearm or something like that. So that's what this whole system w was built around. We're talking about a survival scenario. All right, then let's get into what I've really been looking forward to. Let's talk about actually using the machete. Most systems of fighting start with footwork. How important is footwork when it comes to using the machete, and are there any special training methods that you advocate as part of this system? In my opinion, footwork is key. Um, you know, your feet are going to be – well, in the situation that we're describing in the in the DVD, the idea is, is not to stand there and treat blows with, with your opponent, whether it's a single opponent or whether it's multiple. The idea is for you to 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 protect yourself and, and leave the scene as soon as possible. Um, it, footwork is the key to that. Not just if I need to escape from someone that's, that's that's um, pursuing me with a weapon, but my footwork is what's going to take myself and my weapon to my opponent and allow me to, to close the distance and, you know, eventually leave the scene with my life intact. Um, I, I can't emphasize, you know, footwork and, and, you know, moving the body enough when it comes to machete fighting. Yeah, and, you know, what was good about about the... Um I guess the serendipity of Damon and I kind of finding each other and co-creating this system is that we, we came from it from, from two entirely different methods of, of training. So mine came from the, the Indian system of Gutka. And in, in Gutka, the foundation of it is, is the panthera, which means it, it basically refers to the form that's used for coordination of the feet, body, arms, and weapons all at the same time. But the most critical form of, of the panthera is what's called the four-step. And the four-step is just a very basic footwork movement, and that's, the, like, that's like your day one, very first lesson that you learn 
and it's practiced repeatedly over and over and over again. It's a very simple footwork method, but you you quickly see how uh, after after repeated use of it, how it's incorporated in actual combat, and um, and it really helps you develop develop your balance and your coordination because it, it does require in especially in more advanced roles the simultaneous use of your feet, your body, and double double swords as well. So I, I can I can explain what that what that is um, very quickly so that people that are listening or or reading this will be able to put this you know begin to put this to use. And basically if you draw a square on the ground that's about three and a half feet by three and a half feet and you can just do that with like duct tape on your floor, and then you make that in. You put a basically make like a almost like a tic tac. Well, not tic tac toe, but you you draw one line down the center uh, vertically, and then one horizontally. So what you have are four equal squares inside of that square. And if I were to label those from left to right at the top, one in the top left, two in the top right three in the bottom left, and four in the bottom right. So we just call those the four quadrants, one, two, three, and four. What you do is you start with your right foot in the number two quadrant and your left foot in the number four quadrant. So that's your, let's call that your your beginning stance. So your right foot then is in the upper right-hand quadrant. Your left foot is in the lower right-hand quadrant. From there, your first step is with your lead leg, and your right foot is going from that number two quadrant back to the number three quadrant, which is in the lower left. So now what you're doing is you're facing forward throughout this entire movement, and what you look like right now with that first step is your legs are crossed. So your feet are, are horizontal. You know, they're, they're directly in line horizontally, but your right leg is in front of your left leg. From here, your left leg goes from that quadrant four, and it comes behind you and goes into quadrant one. So now you're directly mirrored from where you started. Your left leg is forward. Your right, re- your right leg is behind you on that same side. From here, your left leg, in, that's your left foot, that's in quadrant one, steps back, or you know, in front of your other leg, to go back to that quadrant four. So now the the way that you look is your legs are crossed again. Your left leg's in front of your of your right leg, and your feet are horizontal again. And all this time, you're facing forward. From there, your right leg comes from that quadrant three and from behind, and steps back into that quadrant two. So again, you're where you started, right leg forward, left leg behind it, in, in vertically. And so your right leg, your right foot is stays in either quadrant two or quadrant three. Your left foot is staying in either quadrant four or quadrant one. And what you do is you just keep practicing this step over and over again. So your right foot comes back to the three, your left leg wraps around, it comes back to the other side, staying with your left leg, it goes from one to three, and then your right foot comes, I'm sorry, it goes from one to four, then your right foot again goes from three back up to one. And you just keep doing that that step inside that box 
repeatedly over and over and over again. And you start each one of your training sessions with this so that you can start to get used to this footwork. Again, as you develop where you start to incorporate the machete or a sword in this movement, you start to see how your body builds this rhythm that you're later going to be using in melee combat. Now, speaking of combat, Jeff, you've mentioned that wielding the machete is relatively intuitive. Is there really even a need for fancy attack moves, or will any old hack-and-chop sort of maneuver work? Well, you're, you're right in that it is intuitive. So if you just hand somebody a machete and you say, okay, there's a training dummy or there's a, there's a log or even there's a person, go attack that thing. Anybody can take it, and they're going to go up, and they're and they're going to they're going to instinctively know how to chop that target. Um, the problem is is that the way the person would normally do that um, isn't ideal for combat. And what I mean by that is, if you were to not hand somebody a machete, but if you were to say, okay, there's a a, a training bag, like a like a boxing bag, and you just told the average person. Go ahead up, go up to that bag and punch it. What are they going to do? They're going to go up, they're going to put, if they're right-handed, they're going to put their left leg forward, they're going to rear back into like that barroom brawl haymaker punch, and they're going to walk up and just punch it. And you know that it's going to be headed toward the face type of an area inside the bag. I mean, that's, that's the standard, that's the standard way that you punch. Well, the same thing, in an untrained hand, that machete is going to be the same thing. They're going to go up. They're going to take it. They're going to put their, if they're right-handed, they'll put their left leg forward. They'll hold the machete in the right hand, and they'll basically rear back as in like a, like a barroom brawl punch, and they'll, they'll hack toward the head area or, you know, toward the head slash shoulder area. You know that's where it's going to go. So in combat, that typical hacking motion where you rear back and you go to, to chop somebody is easily telegraphed. So just like really in, in a tra for a trained person, if somebody at a bar goes up to punch you, you pretty much know where it's going to be coming from. So the haymaker punch is probably the easiest thing to possibly defend against or get inside and crush somebody before they even get the punch off. It's not that difficult. Well, the same thing goes with the machete. If the way that most people would use the machete in that hack-and-chop method, it's also the e most easily telegraphed. Or even if somebody doesn't know how to fight, they're going to know how to to defend against it, or they'll know how to block against it. They'll know how to stick something up in that area so that they don't get hit. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is that motion itself is a very stationary motion. So if you think about chopping wood, you stand there and you hack away in the same exact motion over and over again. That's the way that the, the typical person would also fight with a machete if they had to fight with it and they didn't know how to fight with it. So what happens is is that people go into hack and chop mode where they stay stationary, their feet get um, their feet stay stay lodged, and they just hack away at somebody. And the problem with that though is while hacking or, or chopping is a method of of using the machete for combat. Just like if you're chopping wood, it's going to get lodged in something. So when you ha when you chop somebody with a machete, there's bone beyond that tissue, and that machete can get lodged inside of that bone. 
and nobody's going to stand there and let you hack away at them. So if you get in a good chop and it gets lodged into a collarbone or an arm or a leg or whatever it is, and they rear back, you could just lose your machete right then and there. So hacking and chopping isn't going to be isn't necessarily going to just be repeated chops. It might be one chop and then you've lost your your machete. So what we do is we incorporate more of a cutting motion in the training that we do. So what this allows you to do is to really keep the blade moving at all times. So you can cut with it, you can you can do damage, you can do significant damage, but you also keep the flow going. So we always assume that as an example that you're facing multiple attackers, that you need to get beyond just that one person. I mean, if it were just one person, you and this person in a field, it may only take that one hack and lodging it into a collarbone or whatever, and even if they they break away, the trauma from that could be enough to end it. But we assume that you're dealing with multiple attackers or you're trying to escape the area and you want to bring your machete with you. So the cutting motion is is much is a much better method of fighting beyond that normal hack and chop haymaker. Okay, now that I know how to move my feet, how do I actually deploy the machete for attack and defense? Well, we have developed a method that uh, combines the... What what we've experienced is there are common strokes that um, you will use. Um, Most people under stress will use what we consider um, a diagonal slash coming from the forearm, um, what we call a forearm diagonal slash, what we call call the angle one. And they also a very common stroke, very powerful stroke um, that flows naturally off of the angle one is the backhand stroke diagonal called the angle two. So what we've done is we've we've created a a four-count way of attacking that flows naturally from our our diagonal slash um, from an upright position. Obviously, it's not an upright position. From a, coming from, I guess, from a high a high zone, cutting through into a low zone. So we have four strikes, four diagonals that create like an X um, across the body, and these these tend to be the most common um, strokes you'll find. And uh, they're pretty powerful, and they're very versatile in that you can you can do these movements in a station in a stationary um, in a stationary situation with your training partner, and then you can also add all types of footwork and body angulation and change levels and insert so many different things to this basic four count uh, stri- uh, striking system that we have. Yeah, so it's kind of hard to explain what that what that four count looks like, but it really does serve as the foundation. Just like the the four step movement serves as the foundation for the footwork of it, the four count, um, the, those four angles for using the machete serve as the foundation for all of the the techniques that you build on from there. And you know, Demond's right. It's kind of it's like tracing an X in front of you uh, two different ways. So if you look at it, if you're facing forward and you have it in your right hand. The, you know, the first strike of the X comes from your, if we say you're right-handed, the first stroke comes from like the upper right quadrant down across mm-hmm. your body to the lower left quadrant. So that's like the first X. And from there, the machete travels up, just um, kind of keeping the movement going, but it goes, it, it flows back up to your like left, upper left quadrant and then slices across your body 
diagonally to the lower right quadrant. So that's like making an X in front of you. Um, those are two strokes. From there, you basically just reverse it. So keeping that fluid going, and this, that's, pretty, that's pretty critical right there, is that you need to keep the flow of the blade going all the time. You want to keep that momentum going. So that was your angle one and two. And then from there, you flip, you, you keep kind of, you circle the machete around, and you start from the lower right quadrant now, and you come up diagonally across your body in an upward motion, slicing across your body to the upper left quadrant in front of you. And then keeping that, the flow of the machete going, it travels down to the lower left quadrant, and now you slice up in front of you in an X motion diagonally toward the upper right quadrant again. And there you just kind of circle the blade around and you go back through that motion again. So you're, you're constantly creating this, I guess instead of like an X, you'd think of it a little more like a figure eight. So yeah. there's a figure eight in front of you, and then you kind of reverse the figure eight motion in a way. So that kind of keeps the fluid of the blade going, but you have like this, you're, you're, you're basically cutting an X in front of you in two different ways. Yeah. It's like an ellipse. It's an elliptical pattern that the blade right. travels on. Yeah. So what are the actual targets on the human body? Uh, I understand the angles, but what parts of the other guy are we actually targeting? Well, what's good about that movement is that it pretty much covers the most of the targets that you're, you're that you're going to be going for. I mean, your your most of your like your instant kill type shots are going to be the head and the neck. I mean, if you if you basically look, you can, you can use a machete to chop a coconut. So it's gonna it's gonna do pretty pretty good damage in somebody's skull if you actually chopped into into the skull. Same thing with the neck. I mean, basically. You know, they used to use a sword for decapitation, right? So, you know, you, it's gonna it's gonna kill somebody pretty much instantly when you chop to the neck. So the head and the neck are those instant kill spots, but that doesn't always make them the best targets um, because just like if you were in a barroom brawl with somebody, pretty much everybody aims for the head, right? So if you see an attack coming, if you see somebody, even if you're ambushed and you just barely get a glimpse of somebody going to punch you at the bar, you're naturally going to, like, angle your head away. Your, I mean, your body is instinctively going to do it, even without even thinking. Your arms are going to go up to protect your head and your neck, and you're going to angle your head and, and your neck away. The body knows that that's your most vulnerable area, so it will take over and 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 try and defend that area in a split second. So if you're actually in combat with somebody and they see an attack coming, then while the head or neck might be instant kills, it's also going to be the one that you're probably not going to hit because you're going to you're going to end up hitting more like forearm or something like that whatever's being used to block those areas. So there are some other areas that you can hit. For example, the arm. If you if you strike the arm with a machete, I mean, you're going to do anywhere that you hit with the blade of the machete with enough force is going to do traumatic damage. Anytime that you, well, you need to understand how muscle tissue works. In order for somebody to move their body through by, by their muscles moving, the muscles are made up of different fibers. And those fibers have to, you know, they, they travel across each other. So if if they're not allowed to move against each other, they don't operate. Period. So if you cut into the arm, they could 
lose the use of that arm, period. And if they if they don't have use of their arm, they can't shoot you, they can't punch you, they can't attack you, period. And they're going to be dealing with the trauma of, of that of that strike. Um, same thing with the legs. If if you strike them on the legs and those muscles stop working because those muscle fibers can't can't travel across one another, well, you're like Damon said, your goal is to escape. And they can't run after you if they can't walk. And they can't fight you if they have no foundation to their strikes. If they can't stand, then they're not going to they're not going to be able to fight you back. What was the what was the Monty Python movie where <laughs> Well, it was the Holy Grail, wasn't it? Where it's like yeah. he, he's he's hopping around on one leg. Well, you, that's not, that's not reality. You're not going to be you're not going to be able to fight if you if you can't stand on on both of your legs. Um, another another target that we talk about is the waist, and the reason I talk about that, we you know, like I've been saying before, if you hack into somebody with a machete, it can very easily get lodged into bone. Well, the part on the body that has the least amount of bone protection protecting it is the waistline. So whether you come in from the side with a like a like a horizontal cut, when you go through there, there's not in the waist area. There's not a lot of um, the bone that's protecting it unless you hit, you know, once you get to the spine. So the waist is an area that's going to give you the least amount of resistance. Same thing with coming from the front. If you if you think about stabbing, if you were to stab like to the rib cage. You know, it's going to get lodged in there. It's not going to do a lot of damage if you stab somebody. The ribcage, you're not going to, like, get to their heart or something like that very easily. However, all those organs in the gut area, they're, not protect, they're, they're protected by muscle, but they're not protected by bone. So a stabbing motion to the waist area as well is, can be a very effective, um, not an instant kill, but it's certainly a, 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 death, a, a deadly blow. Yeah, and another thing about those shots to the to the um to the waist area, you know, it's not going to be an instant kill, but you're going to um cause so much damage and there is so much um so many um organs where if you rupture, imagine, you know, getting, you know, um stomach acid and um uh, fecal matter into into other part other parts of the body. I mean, that person's going to die a, a a terrible death. Yeah, even in the Western days, that was considered like the like the worst way to die was getting shot in the gut. Yeah, you were, it was going to get infected, and you were going to basically die over a long period of time—a very slow, disgusting death. Yeah, and painful. The exactly. Well, every weapon. <laughs> this is getting. This has been a dark broadcast in many respects. But <laughs> Every weapon involves some basic fighting tactics for how to use it. What are these where the machete is concerned? Ah, basic fighting tactics. Um, I would say... Um, well, first one us, is, is the first yeah. one you said before is get yeah. the hell out of there. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, footwork, movement... You know, you want you we want to we want to take the person out of the fight as quickly as possible. We don't want to we don't want to you know stand around and, and like I said earlier trade blows and you know take the person's head. We want to really just take them out of we want to we want to eliminate the threat with as minimal um, 
with as minimal force as possible. We, we don't want to spend expend a lot of energy um, getting getting uh, through this obstacle. We want to do it fast. We want to do it quick. We want to do it dirty, and we want to you know we want to leave. We want to be a ghost and go. Um, that would be the first thing. The, the 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 very very first thing is, you know, I don't really want to be here this long. I need to take it out. I need to do it fast. Um, after that. If you are forced to, I mean, there are situations where you may be forced to have to stand your ground. And in those situations, you're going to have to have, you know, great defensive skills. You're going to have to, um, you know, be able to to manage the uh, the stress and the adrenaline dump of, you know, being in a life or death situation like that. Um, and I think that having a very strong defense, whether it, you know, and when I say defense, I don't just mean like blocking and parrying. But I mean blocking, parrying, um, footwork, body angulation, and um, being able to feint and create openings is is to me the 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 um, the, the pinnacle of being a, a, an expert uh, machete um, fighter. Yeah, and and Damon is like. He's he's freaking amazing in close quarters. Like the stuff that he does with body angulation and and short and like short work, um, like really inside work with the blade, um, is something that you don't like in Gutka. Um, there's not a lot of that. It's it's very it's more like long distance uh, training. We've had to adapt a lot of stuff for it for close quarters combat. And that's the stuff that, like, Damon, I've really learned a lot from him, like getting those, the inside, the inside work done. Um, you know, a couple of things that I guess I would add to it in the way of tactics that people can take away from this and, and really start to at least get a, a preliminary, you know, thought, uh, I guess a training routine around it is, and some of the things that are different about our system than maybe other, other systems that are out there is the use of, um, the use of the machete, but with striking on the same side as your lead foot. You know, as I said before, most people, if they were to pick it up, would, if they're right-handed, they would hold the machete in their right hand, they would put their, their left foot forward, and they would use that as, like, their, their power move. It's that, that's that hacking motion, that haymaker strike. Uh, what we do is we flip that around. So when you're striking, if I'm right-handed and I'm striking I'm striking on that same side, so my right foot comes forward with my with my right arm striking with the the machete in my right hand, and and there's a reason for this. One, it gives you a much longer reach, and you can test this out yourself. If you take a machete in your hand and you put your left foot forward and you reach out as far as you can, and 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 try and see how far you can reach out while staying balanced is the key. And, and you mark that off. And then you put your right foot forward in, in that same spot where your left hand was. And then reach forward. You'll see that you've got a, a, another good at least like 12 inches or so on, on your reach. So it gives you more reach in combat by striking on the, on, on the same side as your lead foot. The other thing that it does that you'll notice is that if you had your left foot forward and, and the machete in your right hand, the further out you reach, the, the less balanced you're going to be. You'll start to tip over at some point because mm. you're reaching out with the opposite side of where your center of balance is. So when you reach forward, you're basically tipping yourself over. As opposed to if you think in terms of like fencing, what do they do? They have their lead foot forward, and, and when they reach forward, 
with their with their foil, they're they're very well balanced that way. They can quickly move forward and backward as they need to, so they keep the movement going there. But their balance is also very well um, very well structured as well. The other thing that it does is it adds more power to the actual strike. So again, in contrast, if my left foot is forward and I'm striking with my right. When I strike, what I'm doing is I'm relying on arm strength and shoulder strength. It's basically just the, the power is coming from a little bit of momentum, a little bit of upper body, but mostly it's arm strength coming down. Whereas opposed to if you have your, your same side leg forward, when you strike, and, and, and we, show, we demonstrate this in the DVD in contrast, you can put your whole body into it, especially in close quarters combat. You can get your whole body behind the strike, and and you're you're you're, you're getting so much more force into the actual um, cutting that you're actually doing. So that's one thing I would add to the the tactics that people can start to do is practice with cutting uh, with using the blade on the same side as your um, as your as your lead leg. And this works even with the four count. So when we start to incorporate the four count um, angles with the four step movement, essentially what you're doing is you're you're doing the four, the four the four angles of attack there that the four count on the same side as your lead leg. So like we said, like your when you start the movement with your right foot forward, well that's your angle one attack. So you're you're cutting with your right foot. As you're stepping, you know you have your right leg forward. From there, as you do your four count movement, you're actually angling the blade. Um, your left foot's forward, and you're doing that that the angle two attack, which comes from the upper left to the lower right side in front of you. And you'll notice that when you do that, your left foot is forward. Now, now even though the machete's in your right hand, you're actually bringing the left side of your body into the cut. And that's how we start to incorporate these together. Um, the other thing that I'll, that, I'll, uh, that I'll add to the tactics that people can practice um, comes from the gutka, which is the, it's the swinging of the blade around the back of your body. And what I mean by that is if you were, again, do, looking at this in contrast, the person that has their left foot forward and is hacking with the machete in their right hand. Well, when you bring that machete back, no matter how fast you do it, when you bring it back behind you, it, you have to take it from a backwards momentum and bring it forward again for that, for that cut. So what you do is you lose velocity coming back, and in fact, you're, the, the momentum is going behind you, so it takes you more energy to take it from that momentum and quickly reverse it to bring the blade back in front of you for a cut. So you're, you're working on negative energy from the beginning of your cut. What we do is we, we actually start with, let's just say that we're going to do one cut in front of us, and we've got our right leg forward, the machete's in our right hand. Rather than reaching back and hacking, we bring that, that machete in front of our bodies, in front of our body, and it swings around the back of our head and the back of our body, almost like if you had a whip. Like you, you bring that whip around to thrust in front of you out to the right. What we do is we bring the machete around in front of us, and it comes in a circular motion, and then you cut down in front of you. And 
in Gutka, your strikes are coming from this constant revolving um, circular pattern around your body that um, has a number of different advantages to it. So what, number one, it's harder to read that attack. So what I mean by that is if somebody were to be in front of you and, and you swing that blade around behind you, they know an attack is coming. I mean, this is not a long, a long swing. It's not like it takes like five seconds of swinging around your body. It happens in the blink of an eye. It's very quick, but your brain also quickly registers that an attack is coming. So when they see that coming, their body instantly goes into defensive mode, and it goes to just basically curl up and block. And they think that it's going to be coming to the head. So instinctively, and we and I've pressure tested this before, people will, will put their arms up like to protect their head because they think that's, well, because their body knows that's the most vulnerable area. So they know the cut is coming. They, they go into defensive mode. They cover up their head. And what that does is it gives you that split second to be able to hack a leg instead. So it's a, it's a very quick exchange. It's a very quick combat exchange. But that circular motion allows them to basically, it allows you to telegraph in a split second. It gives them a split second to cover up. And then it gives you another split second to be able to strike a place that's not covered up. Just to kind of um, piggyback on that, uh, the, it's a lot easier for you to defend a weapon that you can see. If your eye can track it, then it's going to be a lot easier for you to follow it and negate it. That motion where we where we use the um, take the the machete around the head, it takes the blade a split second out of out of sight, and it it creates that that if, if we were doing Japanese arts, they would call it a suki. It's like a a moment's hesitation where you can alter alter the um, the, the target where one is expecting, like Jeff is saying, a shot to come to the head and it actually ends up going low. So. There's something to be said about the the movement and causing the blade to 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 disappear from one sight for a moment and then you know strike you know anywhere the the practitioner may want it to go. Um, a common theme in our in our system is fluidity of motion. It's you see this circular and elliptic motions come out quite a bit, and it just it just uh, um. Also, going back to you know which side we have forward, having our 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 weapon side forward allows us to create allows us to create that that circle without our own body getting in the way. Um, so it's something I was thinking about as Jeff was talking about um, you know having your left side forward as opposed to your right side um, excuse me your right side forward as opposed to your left side forward. It's just we really don't want to get the body in the way. We want to allow that circle to um, allow our blade to travel in that circle so we can maximize the force and the power of the movement. All right. Well, I'm sure a lot of people listening right now are raring to go and get started practicing these types of methods. What can you uh, tell me about the training equipment needed to start to put these tactics into practice safely? Okay. Uh, that's a good question. Safety first. Um if you are injured or your training partner is injured, you guys can't grow. So um, I would say if you – if you to get yourself – I would say get a a um, training machete. 
Um, you can find ones that are made out of um, aluminum or some are made out of wood or even like hard plastic. If you don't have those as options, you can um, you can get a dull machete that's made out of steel and maybe even to add a little extra safety to it, you can keep it in its sheath and still use the, the techniques to kind of keep the feel of the, of the machete. Um, but outside of that, I would suggest getting like some lacrosse gloves to protect your hands. Um, yeah, we, so, I, I still have some knuckle, some knuckle pain. I mean, it's easy. You'll start to see that, um, you get a few dings on like the knuckles and stuff like that. And yeah, that's, that's a big one. I'll, I'll add an emphasis to that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely protect your hands because those little, those little small hits, they, they last a long time. They stay with you for a while. Um, also, and with something that I'm kind of, um, nursing with myself is, uh, you know, protect your elbows. Um, I, I was, I was, um, doing some training and I, I had protection, but my, my, um, elbow protect, my elbow guard kind of slipped and I, I took a shot on the elbow and I was out of commission for three weeks. So you definitely want to protect your fingers, your elbows with some, um, uh, I guess like, I'm not sure of the sport, but I guess like, um, uh, skaters, they would use like um, elbow pads and knee pads just to kind of add a little extra protection. Um, for a little harder contact, you can get like baseball um, catcher's greaves um, made out of hard plastic. They'll they'll allow you to attack to the leg um, without any issue. Uh, headgear, um, what I found that works best for for me, and you know, considering that um, maybe you're not doing much thrusting, is um, a, a baseball catcher's mask, hard plastic. Um, you can take a lot of shots in the head, and the, the the helmet really, you know, preserves your preserves your um, your computer there. Um, fencing mask can work as well, but if you do a fencing mask, you want to make sure that you use the um, the three blade mask ones that are made to um, protect the head against the saber. At the same time, um, it, it'll offer some protection. But it's not the same. I would I would argue in favor of the, the the catcher's mask over the fencing mask. And the only advantage the fencing mask has is that there's the mesh to protect the eyes. Um, but uh, catcher's mask with some eye protection underneath is a good way to go, in my opinion. Um, those are the major areas I would protect. Um, you can get that stuff at a at a um, secondhand. Um, uh, sports store or at Goodwill, we've gotten quite a few um, equipment just from being in the right place at the right time at Goodwill. Um, but yeah, so I would start there. Cup and uh, mouthpiece wouldn't hurt as well, just in case you know you want to add some other aspects to your to your um, to your uh, sparring. The latter being not from Goodwill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would suggest getting either one of those from Goodwill. Yes, <laughs> I got this great deal on a mouth guard. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, what sort of training drills can you guys offer me, both with and without a partner? I've got my training equipment. I understand the concepts. I'm ready to go. How do I drill these with and without a partner? Well, a lot of people are probably going to start out with solo training. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, I'll take that first. I mean, the main thing is you need something – it's it's best to have something to fight against. I mean, you could do this in front of a mirror or something like that, but 
you know, really all it takes is something like a boxer's heavy bag that you can hang from your garage or something like that, something that, that resembles a person in front of you. Um, so you can you can use a heavy bag if you, like in your basement or your garage, you have a, a vertical pole that's holding it up, you know, from the ground to the to the roof that you can maybe put some padding around or even put something like a like a mask on it or something. There's a lot you can do with making something look more realistic. And that's what I try to do is I you know I try to get people to to focus on as much realism as possible. So that's yeah. one thing. One thing that I've also done um for my training is I as I have a a log that is about the size of a torso um, well, it's not it's not that wide, so the log is only about 12 inches across. But what I did was it's it's also about about four feet tall, so it has like um, I'm able to hang that outside. So I have it hanging from a tree limb outside. All I did was screw into the top of it a like an eyelet, you know, basically a large a large eyelet, and just hang that from the tree just with some 550 cord and what I like about that is that I can use a real machete on it. So I don't, I don't, I'm not suggesting that people train with, with live machetes, especially in public or anything like that. But um, it's good to know, to get a, the feel of a real machete and see what it's like to actually cut something that's vertically, you know, vertical in front of you. So I'm, I'm not suggesting that you really train with that. I'm just saying that to get the feel of what it's like to chop something vertical, you can do that. However, just know that if you if you try training with a real machete, if you trip and fall or something, obviously you can you can really get in some some bad bad news there. My favorite thing to do with with solo training though is I have a Bob training dummy, and this is the the training dummy. If you go down to your local like like large sporting goods store, um, it's you'll find it in the sporting goods section where like the boxing equipment is or the martial arts equipment. And essentially what it is, it's, it's a punching bag that is shaped like a person. And it's made out of some sort of rubbery material. Um, the one that I have actually goes from just below the groin up. So there's like partial, you know, it basically has the whole waist section and everything. Uh, it looks more realistic than the, the, the version just below this one. So it has a guy there and it's a, you know, he's got like a, a stern look on his face or whatever. And, um, you know, he's, it's, it's a big dude, you know, he's got, he's got like muscle, there's no arms or anything like that, it's just the torso, but you can go full, you can go full force on this thing, and it looks like a person, and what I suggest doing is to actually take the Bob training dummy and then dress him up, so put, put, we even put pants on him, so the, I mean, obviously there's no legs there, but the, the pant legs hang down, so it, it gives the impression of legs there, um, put a shirt on him, we even, uh, got a um, some Halloween uh, material like a wig and things like that to put on them so that it looks as realistic as possible that you're fighting somebody. So I, I like that a lot for the solo training. From there, when you have something in front of you that resembles a person or something they can train with, what you want to do is you want to get used to using that four-step movement and the four-count cutting technique on the training dummy itself. And look, it's it's going to be stationary, um, but and this is if you're using the log with your training machete, um, you can actually because that log is going to move around, and because in real combat 
a real person would move around, that gives you the ability to kind of like, you know, you know uh, push your shoulder into it and, and it's going to move with you. Um, when you hit it with a training machete, it might move. It gets you used to moving around somebody's body in close quarters combat as well. So, but if you just have that, that whatever that training, that training dummy, whatever that might be in front of you, it gives you something to practice your four-step movement on and, and your four count. And that's where I suggest starting if you're going solo is to just focus on your footwork and your four angles of attack with that, with a four count and just keep focusing on that. Get that rhythm down, get the balance down, get the coordination down of striking on the same side, keeping the blade flowing and keeping your feet flowing. And, and once you get that coordination down, you start to notice that your body can, well, is naturally going to want to go in different areas. The blade is going to want to go in different areas. And you'll see how it quickly, how, how you can build in this instinctive combat motion um, that, that can get you beyond just the four-step and the four-count. Something I'd like to add on to that. Um, um, <clears throat> once you um, – I, I can't emphasize actually hitting a target and getting used to um, the feeling and developing the muscle – the muscle memory and the strength to actually cut through to, to actually hit a target. So when we train, um, when when we train, sometimes we neglect and forget to actually um, strike something because that takes something out of you. And although, like a machete, you don't have to reload it, but it won't do you any good if you don't have the the strength to To cut through a uh, hundred bodies and such, so I I would emphasize um, like what Jeff was saying, getting yourself either the log, uh, the bob, or a boxer's uh, heavy bag, and you know work on doing your strikes on that bag as well, so that it develops that strength. Um, the I guess I guess strength isn't the the correct term, but it, you're gonna feel by doing this, you're gonna feel a burn in your arm and in your shoulders, and we have to condition ourselves to to um to be able to to strike even though we don't want to go into a um a long confrontation but we want to make sure our sword arm is going to be strong enough to carry us through the day so i would add that to the um just to kind of um add a, an emphasis on you know work on striking something as well as you know doing motions um in the air or in the mirror where you can see and can do, correct your form yeah yeah, that's, that's a really that's a really good point because one of the things we found is especially when when Damon and I are, are really you know working together a lot is that your know, stamina is is really paramount. It doesn't take long for you to get out of breath or you know to really feel the training taking you know taking place, and that's even with with us with with training machetes. Yeah. And, um, in real combat, with the adrenaline flowing and everything like that. Um, you know, you're going to be exerting a lot more energy, and and while you're you know you're hoping that only it only takes one or two strokes to get you out of the out of the combat zone and to safety, the the fact is that it, it might not. And you know, right. a box boxers train a lot in the gym, but you know you see them getting tired after just a couple of rounds, even in perfect shape. You know, or or UFC fighters. I mean. You know, it's it's gruel. Combat is is so grueling physically, and and you need you need as much strength as possible and stamina to be able to to survive. Yeah. 
Devon, you want to go over? Um, I, so I did the solo stuff. I mean, what, um, you want to go over maybe um, a training, a simple training drill that people can do when they have a training partner? Yeah, um, one of the first things we start you off with once you have a training partner is is actually doing the four count with your training partner. Um, and you can approach this in a number of ways. If you're if you're um, new to weapon weapon fighting, you can actually stand in front of each other, establish um, your combat distance, your kill range, which is the the range in which you can touch your opponent, your opponent can touch you. You can move slightly out of that range, and you can do your four count while mirroring your opponent, your partner, without making any contact with your blades. And this allows you to kind of work on, you know, working against uh, a moving target at the same time. You're still in a safe zone where you're not going to get hit and get hurt. Now, the next thing that I would recommend is to actually move into the range where we're still at long range, but where your blades can, um, can make contact with each other. So once we're there... And I, um, well, the, I beauty, initiate well, the, the beauty of that is that when you have somebody standing facing you, when each of you are doing the four count, it's a, it's like a reverse mirror. So it, your, your blades naturally, um, cross mm-hmm. each other in like an X pattern when, when they're doing the four count the same way that you're doing the four count. That's the beauty of yes. that four count with a training partner is that it, it naturally allows you to, to clash um, at the right spot when you're exactly. you're doing it. Yeah, exactly. So it's like you're lear- you're you're learning an attack pattern, but you're also learning a defensive or a a what the, what they say is a um a proactive a proactive defense pattern where you know if a person attacks with an angle one, you can meet an angle one and 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 negate the angle one with an angle one. So you're learning some some pretty um, complex strategies all the while you're learning also how to get used to the 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 flow and the the motions of uh, making contact and being in that range where you know you can touch it it's it helps you get comfortable with uh with the blade coming coming at you now from there you know you should be in a you should be doing a stationary with your partner to begin with and once you've um once you've established that you're comfortable with the four count and you guys are um doing okay, you can start adding some footwork to it. Um and we, we go over that through the, in the, throughout the D V D of different footwork patterns and you can start off simple, um just you know, advancing while uh one person advancing while the other person is um you know, moving back and you can switch roles and do that a couple of times and once you're comfortable with advancing and retreating, you can move laterally, then you can incorporate the um the four step and you know from there you can start just adding any of the uh footwork patterns that we've uh, demonstrated throughout the V D to the four count. So um and the four count drill is a very simple drill, but it's like the uh, the cornerstone and the uh, building block to a lot of um more advanced concepts and tactics. All right. Well I am gonna go sharpen my own machete and think about what we've learned tonight. All right, well, thank you, everyone, and thank you for what has, as always, been the fastest hour of my week. From all of us here, train hard, stay safe. Prepare now. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. 
You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.